you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 48. Today, I am speaking with Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, Lily. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there in in the midst of the pandemic. (laughs) I know. It's nuts. Uh, Both of us have kids and we're trying to do that amid coronavirus, and that's challenging, doing schoolwork online we were just talking about. I, I feel pretty lucky that my uh, daughters are self-sufficient enough, so I really don't have to do anything. I just sit in my room and paint. That I am waiting for that. I'm waiting for that self-sufficient age. It's coming soon, I hope. Yes, hold on, hold on. You can make it. I can. Um, I love your name, by the way. Thank you. I- I didn't know if I was going to be speaking with a man or woman, Corey, until uh, you sent me your blog. You sent me the link for it, and I clicked on it, and I saw pictures. Um, This is a beautiful blog. You're a really good writer. You're really good at a lot of stuff, music, writing, all sorts of things. Thank you. I I am sort of an artistic, creative, whirling dervish, Um, even more so after the NPE discovery, So, uh, and that that artistic talent sort of plays into my story as well. So um, I'm happy to talk about that. And and thank you very much for the compliment. I'm working on a book right now, which I'm uh, in the editing process of about this whole situation. So hopefully, hopefully we can help some people and, and get this stuff out there so that there doesn't have to be a stigma um, against being an NPE and that hopefully there are uh, resources like yours, which I think are, are so wonderful um, because when I found out three years ago, there weren't a lot of resources for this situation, and I really didn't know where to turn. So true. And since we're talking about it, instead of waiting till the end, people are going to want to know right now, can you direct us to what your blog is or your website? CoreyGoodrich.com, and that is Corey, C-O-R-Y, Goodrich, like the tires, G-O-O-D-R-I-C-H, Com. And my artwork is up there. My music is up there. My blog is also all in this very congested artistic site. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, haven't you felt your creative juices flowing so much after finding out this, well, this painful, devastating, or wonderful news, depending on, depending on your journey? It's a lot of both, actually. And artistically, having, having my normal outlets, it was interesting. And, and I'll tell you the whole story, too. But um, I usually write music and I am a singer. I am an actress. Uh, but after the discovery, I could not write a song to save my soul. And that was, that was my main thing of, of how I express myself. And um, when I discovered painting, which is part of the story, that exploded. I can't believe the, the, the amount of work that I do painting. And now I am actually, people buy my, my uh, paintings, which blows my mind. Um, uh, but that became my main artistic outlet. And it was so important to have that art therapy as I was going through the process of, of discovery and pain and and uh, dealing with all the trauma. So if you can find anything to to channel yourself into, 
I highly recommend it during this process. That is so interesting. Like one part of your brain kind of got quiet. And then all of a sudden, this new part, this painting just exploded. That is so interesting. I didn't even realize you were also in a painter. I'll get to that. I'll tell you all about yeah. it. Okay. So I don't know your story. Take it from the beginning and give me some background on your family and let me know a little bit about your childhood. Okay. I feel you might need diagrams or, or a little salt and pepper <laughs> shaker. <laughs> right, right. This is true with all of us. Like, you know, Carrie Fisher uh, had a, has a wonderful book. I think it's Wishful Drinking. And she talked about Eddie Fisher and, and uh, her father and Debbie Reynolds and all the characters. And you had to, in her show, she actually has a flow chart so you can understand it. And I feel very much the same. So um, I was born in Delaware. Uh, my mother is Ernie, Ernestine, and uh, my father was Tom Goodrich. I was the youngest of four. So I have, I have three older siblings and the gap, the age gap between the closest brother is seven years. So I was the baby. Um, and we lived in Delaware until I was seven and Ernie and Tom got divorced and, uh, we moved to Michigan with my mother and my stepfather. Um, I never understood why Ernie and Tom got divorced. I mean, I was seven of course, but, um, but it was always so I would ask my mother, you know, why she did this, why we brought this, because life was sort of traumatic, I think, in Michigan for me and my brother and, and adjusting to a whole different, you know, Midwestern culture as opposed to Eastern and, and new school and new friends. And, and I didn't really understand why what happened. My mother would never talk about what happened in the divorce, which, you know, that's her business, of course. But um, as I got older, and I had children of my own. I mean, we battled. I would constantly ask her the answer to this question. Mama, why did you get divorced? She would never answer me. She would say things like, um, it's my life, Corey. Uh, she would say, there are things that you don't know about your father. I idolized my father, Tom. And so when she said that, I thought, oh my goodness, what did he do? Did he do something to hurt her? Did he abuse her? I mean, she just shut it down and would not talk. Now, all through my childhood, I felt, and this is a very common thing with people in our situation, I was, you know, I felt different from the rest of my siblings. Not in a bad way necessarily, but just something was different. They were all blonde as babies. I was dark. Um, you know, they all have my father's height. I was short. I looked very much like my mother, so I didn't question it too much. Um, but there were times that I would say, you know, why am I so different? Why is my demeanor so different from my other three siblings? They're all very, very quiet and funny and, and I'm very loud and, and, and actress and all that. So these little things just sort of played in my mind. I did have a memory of uh, being in a hotel room with my mom and a strange man. I don't know how old I was. I was very, very young because I remember a crib being in the hotel room. There was, uh, you know, those doors in hotel rooms when they when they join uh, two units mm -hmm. together. You know, I remember that. But I must have been, I mean, I had to have been under three years old. So I have this memory. Um, then when I was 16, I uh, was looking through pictures with my mother. And I found a picture of a man that I'd never seen before. And he was holding me as a baby. And um, I asked my mom who that was, and she said, oh, it was just a, a friend, and uh, she could never forgive my dad for what he had done to this man. And I said, what did he do? She said, well, he was jealous of him, and so he had him transferred down south. 
So I remembered this. I, I, I didn't ask any more questions because, as I said, I'd been asking these questions of my mother all along and would get shut down. But I remembered that picture. Flash forward to uh, I was 51 by this point, um, and my mother went in for open heart surgery. And so I spent the week with her before her death. Um, she eventually died from not from the surgery, but from in a week or so after the open heart surgery. She was 89 by that time, so we weren't really expecting her to pull through. But um, I thought I would broach the subject one more time with her. She was very sick by this time, so I didn't want to push too far. Um, but I did ask her, you know, Mama, why did you and Daddy get divorced? And she said, Well, I had an affair. You knew that. And I thought, huh, did I know that? Uh, not really. I, I have these memories, obviously, and there's the picture, but I didn't really put it together, you know. And I asked her about it, and she told me the story. I asked her a little bit. And she told me a story about um, about a little bit how the wife had asked her to shut down the affair. But that's all she said. And she didn't go any further, and she was really sick by this time, so I didn't want to push her and get her upset. She goes through the surgery. Um, a couple a week later, she dies. She passes away. And um, I was going through her pictures for her Memorial of Life uh, celebration. And she had carefully curated this box of memories. There was a folder of her. She was a performer when she was um, when she was a very young girl with her two sisters, like an Andrew Sisters type of, of group. Um, and she had all the clippings and the pictures of that part of her life, which I had never seen. Um, there was another envelope full of uh, or pictures of her mother and father and her sisters growing up, which I had also never seen. She never showed me any of these. Um, there was a section of her first marriage. Never saw any of those photos. Then there was an envelope uh, that had three, three letters and two pictures. And these two pictures were the pictures that I remembered from when I was 16 years old. So here I have this picture of this man, this strange man. And I turned to my siblings who were going through the box. I'm like, hey, do you guys know who this is? You were old enough to know about this relationship. Is this the guy that, you know, that, that mama had an affair with? And they confessed at that time that they knew all about it. And uh, though they weren't sure, um, I was this man's child. So it's the day after my mother's death, you know, I'm reeling from her death as it is. And then, uh, they tell me, and my sister confessed that she had known my whole life that, that this man was my father. Um, I was in a, I can't even describe the spiral that I felt at that moment. Just like, it's like I, the earth dropped out from under me, you know, um, because now I'm not my father's child anymore. I'm not Tom's child anymore. I'm not a Goodrich. My name is Corey Goodrich. I didn't uh, change my name when I got married because I was so uh, determined to keep to carry on my father's name. And that name isn't mine anymore, you know? Um, and the fact that everybody suspected or knew my whole life and never said anything, I was in a terrible, terrible state and mourning my mother all at the same time. Um, so I found also in this envelope a letter, and it was a letter from this man whose name was Don to my mother, when I written when I was about ten years old, and and uh, basically confirmed that I was his child. I have his name, you know. I don't have anything else. I just have the fact that he probably lived in Delaware at at 
at the time I was born. And I went to Google and I Googled his name and uh, Delaware and um, up popped his obituary. Now, I didn't know that it was him. But the second I locked eyes on that picture of the obituary, I was pretty certain that that was my father, which was the most surreal experience at that moment to stare at my father from a computer screen as I'm sitting on a couch in Arizona, you know, 51 years after my birth. So um, I didn't, I tried to confirm all of this. There was really no way I was trying to do internet research. I didn't want to hire a private investigator or anything, but you know, I was trying to find um, anything that would, that would confirm this. And of course I couldn't, um, but I did find in this obituary, there was a mention of a younger, of a child, you know, with, with Don and his wife. And I debated because I didn't want to uproot anyone's lives. I didn't want to upset his, his wife. I didn't want to upset my new brother, my presumed new brother and didn't know how they would react. But eventually I was just so eaten up with all this and wanting to know who I was and wanting to know my health history and, and wanting to know about the love story that exists, that existed. So I was unsure if I should reach out uh, to this new family, but I, I wrote an email to the funeral home and um, asked them to pass on my condolences. And the funeral home said, uh, you know, we will pass on your information. And then I waited. I waited for somebody to contact me. And I was a nervous wreck by this point, not knowing if I had done the right thing by reaching out to them, um, not wanting them to think that I wanted anything, uh, but I really had to know, I wanted to know my history and I wanted to know where I came from. Two days later, I get an email from uh, my brother, my younger by 10 years, half brother. And, uh, and he says, hi, you know, this is, this is Lee. How can I help you? And I didn't want to tell him the story because I, I wasn't sure that it was actually him either, that he was my brother or this was my father. So I sent the picture um, but I cut out the baby. I cut out baby me out of this picture. And I just sent the picture of the man holding the baby, but I left my little baby hand in there as sort of a clue, you know, so that if you really looked into it, he could, you know, he would understand what I was asking. He wouldn't confirm right away that it, he said, I think this is, I think this is pop, but, um, I, you know, I haven't seen pictures from this era, so I'm not quite sure. Maybe we should talk. I know he knows by this point, he can guess. So the next day, um, he calls me and from France, he was in France and, and, uh, I just spilled out this entire story of what I had pieced together and what I thought, but I wasn't sure. And he was silent the whole time. And, um, and I thought, oh my gosh, he doesn't believe me or well, how does this sound? I sound like I'm a crazy person, you know? Um, and then he just very calmly asked a few questions and, and asked for confirmation and, he was so emotional and and uh, and and just opened his arms to me and, and said, "I always wanted a sister." You know, so what he told me later was that when he first got the email, he uh, googled me and he found my picture, my headshot, my professional headshot, and he took one look at that and went, oh, "I have a sister." He knew immediately that we were related, just like I knew when I found the obituary and the picture of my father that uh, that we were that that was my father. So. Uh, so we did a DNA test to confirm that we were indeed half siblings and it came out, um, with 99.476% certainty that we were related. Um, and we were both floored and I was still, this was around Christmas time. Um, just 
in a swirl about all of this, not understanding why it bothered me so much. Nothing had changed in my life, really, except for my mother was gone, but everything felt different. I felt different. I'm the same person. I was alive for 51 years. Why should I feel different through this discovery? Lee came out to uh, to meet me. He flew out to Chicago and uh, we met and, and then we flew to Denver and we visited our father's grave, which was absolutely surreal to me um, that I'm standing there at the gravesite of my birth father. Um, and Lee and I have been best friends ever since. He's, he's 10 years younger than me, but he is truly, I mean, the, the greatest gift throughout all of this to me is my relationship with, um, with my brother. My other, you know, my existing siblings have, I think they kind of wonder what the heck I'm doing and why I care so much, you know, like, like maybe I should just get over this. It doesn't matter. Tom was still my dad. Um, and that's the thing I think that we all hear frequently. Your father is still your father. And every time I hear that, I'm like, yes, he is my father. And I greatly appreciate Tom and, um, for raising me, he knew that I was not his child, but he continued to raise me as his own. And I am profoundly grateful for that love and that acceptance. But there's still another side of me that wants to know everything about my new family and where I came from. Um, and it doesn't mean that I don't love Tom Goodrich, you know, it, it, but I want to know these other pieces. I want to know, like, okay, is my temperament that is so different from my family's. Does that come from my biological father? And the more I talk to Lee, the more I see that it does. I mean, he and I are so much alike um, that I sort of discover my father through him. Obviously, oh, did I say? Yes, it was his obituary. So he had died. So I wouldn't, we'll never get a chance to meet Don. But I sort of learn about him through, through Lee and through talking to him. So... After we go to Denver, I'm still swirling. I'm still in a really bad downward spiral, still researching, still looking for pictures. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I could start drawing or something. I need to do something, um, have some art therapy. And, and I started drawing cartoons. I found out that my brother, Lee, had, uh, was, had done a very sort of famous cartoon panel and um, I thought, well, maybe I'll do this. And I started drawing cartoons of depression and, uh, and this dark monster that sort of was, was, uh, chasing after me. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. This is actually really helping. And then I went to watercolors and I, I played around with watercolors for a while. And, and Lee says, you know, your father was a painter. I'm like what? <laughs> he was, he said, yes, he worked in acrylics. He's like, get off of the acrylic or get off the watercolors and go to acrylics. So I started painting in acrylics and I have never picked up a paintbrush in my life. Maybe I sketched when I was, you know, when I was little in elementary school. And when I picked up that brush, I knew what to do. I didn't know if it was me or if it was my father speaking, painting through me or which sounds kind of crazy, but I just knew what to do. And eventually I moved over to oils. And now like this is, this is part of my career and this is how I make my living is by painting. And that is solely, I never would have picked up that brush if I had not known about my father. So that is so cool. I have to interject for a minute just because I love this part of the story. So you became a painter mm -hmm. like two years or three years ago. And this is part of your livelihood now. 
yeah, maybe 18 months, eight, two years ago. Uh, yeah, was the first time I had ever picked up anything. Now, the funny thing is, too, is my mom had said to me somewhere along the line, have you ever thought about painting? And I said, no, I hate painting. I would I would be a terrible painter. So she knew. I mean, she and my, my biological father met in art class, which is hilarious to me, that she knew and she sort of planted that little, you know, that little nugget. Um. And I said, no, I, w- I would never, because it never occurred to me, ever. This, it's not some latent thing that I thought, oh, I'll do this later in life. I never wanted to do this. It was solely through looking for an outlet. And then, and sometimes when I would pick up the brush, I would, um, without the sounding too metaphysical, hippy-dippy or anything, but I would feel Don, you know, I would feel like he was painting with me. Now, whether that's a ghost or whether it's my own desire, you know, to manifest my father, it doesn't really matter, you know. Um, and so I just, I think it's so cool. I'm sitting in my studio right now looking at all the, the paintings that I've done. And, and yeah, that's part of my livelihood, which is crazy. <laughs> that is, this is fascinating, by the way. I love this part of your story. I didn't realize. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, which makes you wonder, like, how much genetic memory do we have, or how much is nature versus nurture, and and uh, you know how much of that talent is his that came down to me that I wouldn't have never discovered if it hadn't been this. So. And now, what about your other half siblings? Uh, is Lee? So they're 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 younger than you, correct? Well, Lee is. Lee is 10 years younger than me, but there were two siblings uh, who were about the ages of my my older brother and sister. Um, Was Don married as well? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So your mom was married and Don, your birth father, were married when you were conceived. Correct. Correct. Okay. Two children of his own. And um, and that, like, so that relationship has been a little more tenuous, uh, you know, but I give them time and space because they don't, you know, they don't, they didn't ask for this either. You know, I, I, one of the points that I keep harping on, you know, with my family and my story and everything is that this, this was not my fault. I didn't ask for this, you know? And so in that respect, they didn't ask for this either. So I have great sympathy for them understanding that that might be difficult to think of their dad with another woman and, and all that. So I just kind of let that go and, and wait till people are ready and try not to push anything there, you know? Yes, I know. So Don knew you were his child your whole life. Yes. Right. Apparently I took vacations with him and my mother when I was very young, but I don't have any memory other than the hotel room memory that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, so he he knew I existed, <laughs> and uh, I mean it, it is a complicated story. With he eventually got transferred to another company because, uh, or to another um, division of the company because they found out about the affair. I mean, it was nineteen, the late sixties, early seventies when when this happened. Um, so I keep going back to the fact: what was my mother supposed to do? Was she supposed to leave her other three kids to go run off with this man? Was he supposed to leave his children? You know, like that. It is complicated to me that my mother didn't tell me this story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have so much empathy and sympathy for her and her plight. You know, this is a very um, gossipy, tight knit community. What were they saying? I'm sure that there were rumors swirling. And, and what was she supposed to do? in that time period. 
I think so many of us, uh, uh, when we make this discovery, there's a very, a, a tendency, I'm sorry, I'm stuttering now. There is a tendency sometimes to blame our mothers more mm-hmm. than fathers, I think, but primarily the mothers get a lot of the blame on all this, but I just keep saying, what, what could she have done? There's no, there was, this was a no win situation for her. You know? So I do have great empathy for her. I wish she'd told me, but, um, but she wanted me to remain a good rich and she wanted me to have this sense of stability. I, I struggle sometimes with, you know, wondering what she is thinking or she's not thinking, but if she could see all this now, would she just be mortified that I'm pursuing it? Um, would she be happy? I, I don't know. And where are you at today with your, I guess your NPE journey? It sounds like you have a wonderful relationship with your newfound half sibling Lee, right? Yes. He is the gift. I love this whole experience. I love him so much and I am so lucky to have him as a brother. I really am. Um, it's almost three years. It will be three years this October, the anniversary of my mom's death and this discovery. I would say that the first two years were honestly sheer hell. Um, I tried so many different, I did therapy. I did all kinds of self-medication, just trying to work through this at yoga and, you know, I have anxiety and depression through all of this. And it took a long, long time, much longer than I expected, much longer than anyone else expected to work through all this stuff and a lot of therapy and a lot of, you know, just self-reflection. But at about the two year point, I was like, okay, I'm coming to grips with this. And and now at the three year point, I feel more myself than I have ever been in my entire life. It has been a really difficult journey to get here, but I'm so happy. I know now, and now I'm, I'm happy that I have the gift of my brother of painting, of um, knowing the story and the truth of who I am. So often, it's not the actual event, I think, of, of, of being an NP that's the hard point part. It's the lies and the cover-up that go into it. I think that damages us more. But of course, I think, you know, you'll find a lot of people in my age group this was a time when people covered up that stuff. I think now people, people get divorces more readily. People are more accepting of, of different families. And, but you know, for, for my mom's generation, this, it was unthinkable. What else would she have done, but cover this up? So, um, yeah, but at the three-year point, I am doing fantastic actually. You sound like it. I can't wait to get to three years. (laughs) Where are you in this? I think I'm at about 15 months yeah. and it's still raw, but it is, it is much better than, you know, when you're the NP and you're only three months into it, you're still shaky every night. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't think people realize, and that's part of the reason that I wanted to write this book too, was not just to like do a tell all expose or anything, but I wanted people to know how traumatic this experience is for us and you would never think in a million years, unless you've walked in our shoes, you wouldn't, I, I would never think that I would have reacted this way. My, um, one of my brothers, like he says, you know, if this was me, if this happened to me, I wouldn't have any questions. I would just accept Tom as my dad and, and be done. And I reply to him, well, but you know, he is your father. So of course you don't have any questions. And if you had told me before this, 
this was going to be how I would react. I never would have believed you. I would have thought that I would have, you know, just wanted to stay with things as they were too. So it's a surprise to all of us how long it takes. And it's trauma. You do, you sort of have PTSD from this discovery or you can anyway. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You can. And okay. So you're writing a book. How, how is the progress going on that? Really, really well. It was really difficult to write this. Mostly I started to write the book because I wanted to remember the events surrounding my mom's death before, you know what happens with time. You sort of conveniently forget things. Your mind tries to protect you. So um, I wanted to make sure I wrote down all the details as they happened so that I would remember them so I could take them out and look at these little pieces of things. Initially, I started writing just as journaling and just sort of as therapy. But as I kept doing this and kept writing down these thoughts and reading about other NPEs who were struggling and seeing how similar our journeys were and how we were all sort of experiencing the roller coaster and the loss of identity and and just the the upside downness that we're in, there really needs to be something, another account for somebody to read so that they can relate to it, or at least say, I am not crazy for being two years in and thinking, you know, thinking my world is still upside down. So um, I just kept writing, knowing that I didn't have an ending yet, but I just kept writing and kept putting it together. And um, it became just sort of traumatic every time I went through to edit because, you know, then I start reliving it all again. And, um, but when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, I thought, you know, this is, this is really time, time for me to do this. And, um, I had some, obviously a lot of downtime without work. So, um, I found an editor who this story is unbelievable too. So I found this woman that a friend had uh, recommended to me and I didn't want to reach out to her. And finally she bugged me enough that I'm like, fine, I will call this person. The editor that I called actually lived half a mile from me or a mile from me in Delaware. And her father also worked for the same company that my biological father worked for. And when she called her father to ask him about my biological father, her father worked with him. Oh, weird. Is It was the strangest, like most synchronistic turn of events. And I'm like, okay, you're hired. So, <laughs> so Elizabeth Lyons is my editor. She's amazing. And she, um, and she's going to publish this book with me. And, um, and I think we have something, I think I have something really beautiful. And I think hopefully other NPAs will be able to read it and, and relate or not relate, but at least see another aspect of this. And I think that's important. We need stories to relate to. Yes, we do. I'm, I'm going to devour it. I devour anything NPE related. So good luck with finishing that up. And um, thank you for telling us about it. I will put this in the show description, including your your blog again, but at this point, is there, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, can you say again how they can do that? My website is corygoodrich.com, C-O-R-Y-G-O-O-D-R-I-C-H. Um, my blog is on there, my artwork, a uh, couple of my albums, my theatrical career, all that stuff. It's on there. And I think you can email me through there too. So cool. Is there anything else that I, that you wanted to share before I close? Hang in there. You know, I I mean, I think that's the one thing I would say to anybody going through this is do what you need to do. Take the time, go to therapy. If you need to, if you, you know, do yoga, do the, do all the things. It's okay to want to have answers to your past. 
whatever it is that you are feeling, no matter how wrong somebody might tell you that it is for having these feelings, it's not. Your reaction to this is your reaction and you have to process it and just keep going and reach out to other people who've been through it. Thank you so much, Corey. I really appreciate this. I appreciate it too. Thank you. I just have one more personal question. If So you know you're talking about editing your book and having to kind of reread some of those painful memories kind of gets you back into that, ooh, that, that state. Right. How, how about talking about it today with me and re, resharing your story? Do you feel okay or do you still, or did it not feel good resharing that? I am at a point right now where I can... I can talk about it without tears. Although there were a couple of moments where I get a little emotional, you know, I could very easily cross over into that, but I've also, the more I share it, the more I experience it, the more I realize that other people are experiencing the thing, same things too. Um, the more I realize how important it is. The only thing we have to share are our experiences and our stories. And so I do find it sort of a mission to destigmatize, you know, so many of the issues that we have as NPEs, that, that horrible B word and illegitimate and, um, um, it's hard, but it's necessary. And it's only by walking through the fire that we're going to come out forged, you know, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but we, we become steel when we're forged in these fires, you know? And so I do feel stronger now. Um, if you had asked me this, where you are at 15 months or something, at that point, I was still crying anytime anybody talked about family or didn't talk about family, or I heard a song on the radio that reminded me of something, I would burst out in tears constantly. Um, so three years isn't too bad, really. <laughs> well, it sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like a good place to be. Yeah. Yep. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Thanks again to Corey for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.